Now here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio. I understand that you were in Kansas, not far from me. I'm in Manhattan, Kansas, where I, 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 I'm a professor at K-State. Uh, and you were in Atchison. Yes, absolutely. Oh, what What was the... I've heard about all the hauntings in Atchison. What, what were you there for? Well, primarily we were there to investigate uh, a home known as the Dilgert House. Uh, a young woman and, and her brother actually jointly purchased the property, and uh, their plan was to to renovate it they said they got a, a steal of a deal on it that they were going to sink some money into renovating the house and I, I think what they really wanted to do was kind of bring it back to its original grandeur it, it really is just a very nice old historic property and, and right. once again renovations come into play they start to renovate the house and things go completely haywire and that's in an upcoming episode yes absolutely Good. Well, when we last left this episode before the top of the hour, you were telling you were just about to tell us what the psychic investigator had told you. This was after you had located a doll that is in the attic, which is in the first episode. And then you were discussing the possibility that that maybe all the bad vibes around this house have to do with the fact that so many homes had been burned during a smallpox outbreak in uh, Iva, Michigan, and that many it's possible that some people had been entombed in their homes when they got smallpox and were nailed into their home so they didn't come out and infect anybody else. And and that's where we had to break it off before we got to the top of the hour. So where were you going with that? Well, basically, you know, you were, you were asking me about the doll specifically, uh, right. talking about the different ways that it played into the episode and what our thoughts were. But one of the things that the psychic had told the family that I thought was pretty interesting was that some of the items in the house could be troubling or upsetting to those victims of the epidemic like for instance there was that uh that painting on the wall that we saw the scratch marks in the glass yeah and when you really when you if you kind of pause on it and examine that painting you'll see that at first it looks like a, a woman tucking in her her daughter going to bed but then when you look at the top left background blended in there there's a bunch of angels looking down and when you kind of look a little bit more at it it almost looks like a like a sickly child um, and that the mother's trying to comfort it, and she thought maybe that could be triggering uh, some of the thoughts and some of the emotions of that tragedy, just like the the doll of the of, the, of a young child that looked pretty disfigured, um, right. and that could be upsetting as well. And from that time frame, so just yes. something I thought was uh, you know noteworthy. Yeah, it is noteworthy, and and it it goes to show you though too that. <sighs> there are so many ways to look at these things, right? And I, 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 I pride myself on being very open-minded on these conversations, but I'm also a seeker in terms of trying to come up with some kind of cosmology to all of these discussions because it's, 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 it's extra canonical. It's not in the Bible, this idea um, that we often talk about, about people being trapped on earth as ghosts and, and, uh, you know, and that you were that you're, or that you go up to heaven automatically as an angel, or or these are these are part of traditions, and they have power in, in our imaginations. But that's what I'm always trying to figure out: is exactly how should we look at this? For example, when when you had an 
early recording in the investigation of something which you interpret to mean get out, uh, that you put down a recorder and you went back and you played it back and you you hear get out in that recording. And I think if if the entity is so strong and if these things are what we imagine them to be or we claim them to be why wouldn't it be a very strong get out why do we think that it's it's this sort of hard to hear scratchy you know set of of frequencies which we interpret to mean something well that is a very good question i mean that's you know i've often thought similar things i mean you think if an entity has the power to scratch you, for instance, like the granddaughter was scratched in the home, if right. whatever was in the house was upset by my presence, why didn't it scratch me? Uh, you know, right. why, did, why didn't I see the smoke or why didn't it appear to me? And, um, you know, that's, that's the thing. It, there's no exact science to this, of course, and I, and I certainly never believe that I have all the answers. Um, right, right, right. But, and I'm not expecting yeah. you to. I'm, I'm not trying to put you on the spot. But I'd yeah. even just like, okay, so let's not even go with exact science. Let's not even go with an exact theology, but I can't even get like, I'm trying to get a cohesive one that kind of holds water a little bit on what we think happens. So for example, when you talk about attaching a spirit, attaching to an object, how do you, um, how do you account for that? What do you, how do you see that as happening? Well, you know, I I guess to my, my best theory would be that, you know, if we're looking at all activity is energy, you know, at a human okay. energy, spirit energy, energy period. Um, could it be, in fact, kind of, you know, trapped, so to speak, within that object, kind of like residual activity can be trapped or encompassed in a home or ingrained into the wood and, and kind of dispersing and replaying? Um, I guess that would be about my closest guess of how that is physically possible, if that makes sense. No, 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 it totally, and I, I get that, and I, again, I'm not trying to be like a, like the, the worst guy in the room, right, who's, everybody's talking about the All-Star game, and I start saying, baseball's stupid, I'm not saying that, what I'm, but I'm, all, right, I mean, I just trying to say, like, how is it that we, for example, if we talk about energy, then, then I guess part of it would be somehow at, on some astral plane, these objects are, like, covered with a kind of, paranormal St. Elmo's fire um, that we can't see, but somehow becomes attached. And, and that's the part that I think, well, why is it this time and not that time? How is it here and not there? Why was this such a tragedy? Although it's a very interesting story. And by the way, I love that library that you go to. Was that the Hoyt library? Is that what you went to go to, to investigate? Yeah, it's, it really is. It's a remarkable building. Oh, it's beautiful. Was that your library when you were a kid? Uh, no, no, actually it wasn't. But uh, it's the Hoyt Library is a very old historic place. It's uh, carved out of a lot of sandstone. Yeah. It, it really is beautiful. Yeah. But, I mean, so, like, when, when we go to investigate that, that's a kind of, like, I'm trying to find a kind of consistency to this, and it's confounding to me. Because I, w- I want there to be one. I want there to feel like, okay, now we can anticipate this. But so much of it seems experiential and anecdotal and not anything that we could ever call predictive. But in that way, too, I mean, like, it's also hard to dismiss 
the power of the sincerity of the testimony. And that's definitely the strength, I think, of the, at least in the first episode that you have of Haunting in the Heartland. What about some of the other episodes coming up? What, tell us about some of the other places that you're going to take us to. Well, you know, one case that really stands out to me strongly is a small farming town of Melbourne, Iowa. Um, and that particular instance, the, the story goes there that a woman who was recently divorced uh, ended up, you know, meeting a gentleman that she fell in love with and they started a relationship. Uh, she moved into a home with her two sons to kind of stand on her own and, and start over. And when the time was right, she felt that, uh, you know, her, her new boyfriend, uh, fiance, should move in with them. And when he did move in with them, activity began happening in the home. Uh, pretty frightening stuff. The two young boys had told us that uh, they would see uh, an apparition of what they referred to as a bloody witch, and that it, it was a woman with a kind of ratted hair and blood-soaked clothing would come out of the closet and stand by them, uh, kind of mouth gaping open, and then just vanish or sometimes go back into the closet. So needless to say, the two boys were you know, terrified of, of their room and, and of the house. And then the uh, fiancé, the, the soon-to-be husband, started experiencing uh, apparitions of a little girl with black eyes. So a lot of, uh, lot of visual things happening in the house. Uh, anyway, at one point, there's kind of a determination that it seems to be surrounding uh, the, the fiancé. When he moved in, that's kind of when all this began. And uh, they were very concerned for him as he felt that something was following him from something that he had engaged in in his past. Hmm. Love that. Um, and have you, I mean, what I think one of the things that you have that you mentioned last hour that I think is a strength of, of these investigations are the uh, third party testimony from people who may not have witnessed what the experiencers said, but could attest to uh, contributing facts. And for example, the police department or the fire department that kept being called to this one home in, um, in Michigan, in Merrill, Michigan. But it, so what were the, what were you able to find out about this particular story? If you can tell us a little bit um, uh, that helped to support what was being claimed. Well, there was a lot of claims uh, in that community of, of, of a, a, a woman being seen in a cemetery uh, that they believed to be the the restless soul of Inez Gibson. And uh, we, so we started to pursue that angle. We talked to a lot of people in the town that would see this apparition uh, in different places, which was pretty interesting from a local cemetery to walking up and down the street and even appearing in other people's homes. Ooh. So, you know, right away we kind of thought, okay, well, you know, maybe this could in fact be uh, the little girl that has been seen in the house and uh, as we continued to investigate and, and go into the cemetery, we started getting some pretty disturbing things on the geoport and other things that led us to believe that, you know, perhaps this isn't the spirit of, of one soul doing, sure. you know. Yeah, exactly. It's, I, I don't want to give away too much, but. It, yeah, it, I don't want you to either. Yeah, yeah. It, it took a pretty dark turn. Uh, we, we had to bring out a demonologist and, and uh, some things had to be performed. Wow. Okay. Well, I'll be watching for that. Again, this new series uh, starring Steve Shippey runs 
uh, Friday nights on the Travel Channel, 10 o'clock Eastern and Pacific, 9 o'clock Central. And Central is the focus because it's the heartland. So does this mean you're getting kind of territorial? That Like if some other show wants to come and investigate something, you go, hey, man, we do the heartland. Back off. This is our territory. I'm going to let the air out of their tires. <laughs> you're from Michigan. I wouldn't mess with you. You know, you got you to gotta let them know. You know, you got a you got a you got a rapper posse. I wouldn't I, I wouldn't mess with you. But I, I do think that's interesting. So, uh, what is your mandate in terms of where you want to cover? Where you want these stories to come well, from? You know, pretty much the, the heartland region to me is uh, you know it's the entire Midwest and you know Ohio. Yeah, yeah, even with hunting in the heartland the first season, I mean, we did go all the way down to Mississippi and then even over as far as Greenville, Tennessee. So, you know, I to me personally, the heartland is, is kind of a frame of mind. To me, it's more of a rural community, uh, more of the salt of the earth type of people. Uh, we, we definitely want to stay away from the coast and, and any major city. Yeah, who wants that? They, they could take their stinky old ghost stories. We'll take the ones in the Midwest. I like that idea. So what, what some people on the coasts, might think of as flyover country, however you define it. Well, yeah, and to me, that's kind of the beauty of it. In fact, I sometimes I refer to the, the Midwest as, as kind of the gray zone. I mean, we know that there's some incredible cases on the East Coast as like kind of the mecca of, of paranormal right. investigation. And, and uh, so, but, you know, to me, that, that path less chosen, uh, the folklore of these small communities I guess because I, you know, grew up in a small community in the Midwest. Really, I kind of gravitate to that, and I think there's a lot of stories and a lot of hauntings to be investigated that no one's ever even heard of, and, and I, I really enjoy that that process more. Yeah, you, you y'all are like the American pickers of ghost stories. A little bit, a little bit. <laughs> I mean, in a good way. That, like, you know, you're you're going, you're looking for barn finds. You're going into, you're going to the places where perhaps uh, other shows had never thought to bring a, a portable camera, and you're you're going to be there. But that's interesting too, because I think I think there's something. I mean, I love the Midwest. I I grew up uh, outside of um, Chicago originally, but then I went to the University of Illinois and. And I, I, I spent a lot of time in different places. In, in, I was in Minnesota for a long time and I, in Iowa. And I, I learned, I think there's a kind of, there, uh, you know, in the, especially where you were in Saginaw, you could even claim that that's sort of the rust belt, right? The, that upper Midwestern former largely industrial area, which then suffered greatly in the 70s uh, recession and then beyond. And there's something about the decay of the of these areas there's something about the way in which these weathered towns are holding it together against all i mean it would seemingly be almost without even a purpose some of these small towns are staying on the map and you hit on a couple of those already as you were talking about uh, uh like places like merrill michigan and uh and iva um and there's something about the decay about that that seems to parallel um these uh, ghost experiences yeah you know 100 percent, and that was actually very beautifully said i mean the way you just described you know the, the midwest and the heartland is is exactly how i see it it's it is amazing uh, that the way that you worded that, almost without purpose, it's it's strange because these you know people are rooted in these communities even generationally, and like you said, there were times with the, the big booms of the automotive, uh, Saginaw, even further back with the lumber era, it's had its ups and downs, but at the same time, it's 
it's just home and you just have to make it work with whatever the economy is or or what there is or what there isn't it's just home it just is but like just like you were describing though with the people that were renovating houses it's almost like the area is resisting modernization like it in that sense that even the homes themselves are, are you know they some of them have really good bones but some of them are kind of beyond repair <laughs> You know they've taken too many, too many you know, uh, freeze and thaw cycles, and it, it, you just you can't put the nails back in again. You have to put up new boards. And I wonder whether, if there's that connection between renovation and ghost investigation, it's that. Um, it's a sense that you, we these houses are sort of defying standing up straight anyway in many cases. And maybe the only thing that's holding them together are just the memories of their former greatness. You know, that very well could be. It, it is It is pretty amazing how a lot of these small communities do resist change in, in a lot of ways. You know, and it's just, uh, it, it's, you know, part of that interesting fabric that really is that Rust Belt, you know, community. Um, we see that all through the heartland. You know, of course, the different towns that we went to were, you know, vastly different in, in some senses, you know, maybe geographically, like the mountainous right. region of Greenville and whatnot, but very much the same characteristics and in, in, in people as well. Maybe their accents are different, but they're very much the same. Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern and go to coasttocoastam.com for more.